A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now this woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. The word of the Lord. Now I can say I am grateful to Ray for wanting you to go all in when it comes time to sing a good classic hymn. But if Ray or I ever ask you to do a children's message, please don't feel that you need to show that level of faith. <laughs> I am grateful to Lisa for the act of faith, but holding a glass of water upside down over you in the middle of a children's sermon, that's someone going all, that's, we'll put that at one end of the spectrum. You, you can be down here if you need to do that. That's totally okay. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, in this time I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts together bring glory and honor to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, I will confess that this is a text which for years has caused me struggles. Not the Syrophoenician woman specifically. I have absolutely no problems with her. Actually, she comes off in this text as loving and patient and insightful. No, my problem with this text has always been Jesus, and unfortunately not the way Jesus normally bothers me. Um, you see, one of my foundational beliefs is that Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the God of Israel. The fullness of God is found in Christ. All that God is can best be understood in the person of the incarnation. Now, as someone who has spent most of his career in the Old Testament, that is extremely important for interpretation. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that God is Jesus. And I believe that if you are reading a text and you're having a hard time seeing that, then someone's culture is getting in the way, either ancient or modern. And for me, one of the foundational points that I have for who God is is that God isn't a racist. I'm just radical that way. And then I come to this text. And for years, I just didn't know what to do with Jesus here. How am I supposed to read what seems to clearly be a racist response to a woman who is simply asking for help for her daughter? How does that look like God? How does that fit into the story of Jesus? And then I focused on that exact question. How does this episode fit into the story of Jesus? One of the most important steps in reading the Bible well is context. Context is everything. Literary context, sociological context, historical context. Context is everything. So what is the context of this story in the Gospel of Mark? 
Well, one important thing to consider about the Gospel of Mark is how Mark talks about everyone who comes in contact with Jesus. In this Gospel, no one gets it. Ever. No one. As readers, we know that Jesus is the Son of God from the very first verse of the Gospel. But no human being in the story understands Jesus' ministry. His family doesn't understand. They think he's crazy. The religious leadership doesn't understand. The people he has chosen to teach closely don't understand. I got tired of counting the number of times Jesus asked, do you still not understand in the Gospel of Mark? In truth, only one human being in the entire Gospel truly understands who Jesus really is. And it's the Roman centurion facing the cross at the very end of the story. Surely this man was the Son of God, but no one else gets it. Next week, in fact, we will see a crowning moment when one of the disciples misses the point. That's a teaser to bring you back next week. I throw that in every now and then, just to subtle there. So if that's the overall context for the story, what's the immediate context for this story? Well, Jesus has fed the 5,000. They've gathered up the leftover baskets of bread Very common for bread to be used as a metaphor for teaching. So the point of that story is that Jesus didn't just feed them. Jesus overwhelmingly fed them, body and spirit. So there was an abundance of leftovers. Jesus' teaching is spilling out all over, 12 basketfuls. By now, in the story of Mark, Jesus has healed the Gerasene demoniac, a Gentile man who was living in a Gentile land. I rhymed in the early service, too, and it threw me off, but we'll do it again. And now, once again, Jesus finds himself in Gentile territory. And some things haven't changed. Jesus still isn't able to find one moment to himself as he is unable to do that when he's in Gentile or Jewish territory as well. But the most impressive of the people trying to reach Jesus in this story is this woman. This woman who cares far more about her daughter than she does any cultural convention. This foreign Gentile woman, something the text drives home by commenting on her origin twice, she talks to this Jewish man, a teacher, and actually even makes a request of him. She begs. To even engage with her would make Jesus unclean in the mind of some of the Orthodox leaders of the community. But that's okay. Jesus hasn't really cared about cultural convention either. He does respond but with a truly confounding response in verse 27. Something that seems totally out of character. He says, Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let me say there is no positive connotation for calling someone else a dog in the biblical text. None. Throughout the entire Bible, it is never okay to refer to people as dogs. This really does read as a truly racist line by Jesus. And while it is true, the word that Jesus used does imply the small domesticated house dog, I don't think that helps. It's just not okay to call someone else's culture a dog relative to your own culture. But what's interesting about this insult is that it's an insult with multiple layers. You see... This conversation is likely taking place very near an area of Israel that is producing most of the bread for the city of Tyre. 
In times of famine, Tyre would be able to purchase grain right off Jewish tables. In Acts chapter 12, we read that Tyre was dependent on Jewish farmers for food. Jewish farmers were the breadbasket in this area, and often they were unable to benefit from the grain they were growing. The city would confiscate it right from them. On top of that, the people who are confiscating this grain are Gentiles. The animosity would be natural. Some ancient historians actually list the people of Tyre as the most bitter enemies that Israel ever had, probably in part because of this reason. So Jesus says to this woman, let the children be fed first. It's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But here's an interesting thing about context. If we've been reading the Gospel of Mark, we know Jesus doesn't believe that. That has never been Jesus' position, ever. He has already healed Gentiles in this story. He has already gone to Gentile lands on more than one occasion. He just spent the beginning of this chapter explaining how it isn't what goes into the person that makes them unclean, but what comes out. The whole beginning of this chapter has been Jesus saying, effectively, what God has created, let no one call unclean. And then he goes and calls someone else's culture a dog at the end of the chapter. He says something which seems to run exactly counter to what he has said and what he has done in the rest of the gospel. So why would he say this? Let me go way out on a limb and say, I don't believe Jesus is a racist. That's the kind of chance I'll take in this pulpit. <laughs> I feel pretty confident in that position, frankly. No, I don't think he's a racist. I think I have a lot of the Bible on my side on this one. And I don't think he's grumpy. And I don't think he's sleep deprived. And I don't think he needs a hug. And I don't think he needs a Snickers. <laughs> my suspicion is that Jesus is using a slogan here that would be familiar to the area and the audience, a cultural context that we seem to have lost over the years. It's not hard to imagine this being a political slogan or a cultural aphorism that developed out of the animosity between these two peoples. I am certain the Jewish farmers in this area believed this exact thing. We should keep Jewish bread in Jewish lands and the Gentiles can have what's left over. No one in the story, when Jesus says it, seems surprised by it. The woman is certainly not thrown off her game at all. I think it's very likely she's heard this before. And I think very likely Jesus is using it as a test. Jesus seems to know his audience here. Jesus tests her by using this aphorism, and she gets it. My former colleague likes to say that good teachers know their students, and they know which ones they can challenge, and they know which ones they have to use kid gloves on. I think Jesus sees in her something special, and she absolutely rises to the occasion. I do wish we had tone of voice here, though. I wish we could see the wink that Jesus gives or hear the inflection that he offers this saying to her or, or maybe the smirk that comes across her face when he says it as, as she says to herself, fine, if that's the way you want to play, let's go. If it gets my little girl well, I can do this all day. At least little dogs get crumbs. In other words, she counters Jesus with, you know what? Fine. The Jews can have you first. Just give the Gentiles what's left. We'll take the crumbs of what you've got. Your crumbs are enough to work miracles for us. As if to say, if you can collect 12 basketfuls after a feeding, surely you've got enough in your bag to heal my daughter. We Gentiles are hungry too. And we'll take whatever we can get from you. Even if it's just the scraps. 
You know, most of the time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is shocked by people's lack of faith. It's, it's nice to see him shocked by a deep and abiding faith. This time, this woman hangs in there with him. She wins her arguments, and she surprises him both with her hunger for the crumbs and with the faith she's able to show. We Gentiles are ready for more. Just give us what's left if that's what you're going to do. And she was right. These Gentiles were ready for more. Right after this, Jesus opens the ears and the mouth of a presumably Gentile man who can't keep quiet about all the ways that Jesus is moving. Jesus has another miraculous feeding in Mark, this time in Gentile territory. He feeds 4,000 just like he fed the 5,000. And this time, again, seven basketfuls left over. Jesus has been pushing and challenging his Jewish audience for seven chapters, and no one gets it. No one cares for the teaching. They're just hungry for the miracles. Here, he's pleasantly surprised this woman wants more. She's hungry. She wants her daughter healed, certainly, but she uses Jesus' metaphor to say, we are desperately hungry for you here and we'll take what we can get. I have had the experience and the joy of teaching hungry students. I taught a class on the west side of Chicago 30 years ago, It's been transformed from then. An entire neighborhood, by the power of Christ, has worked what's known as the Lawndale Miracle. That's what they call it. It started as a five-person Fellowship of Christian Athletes Bible study, and it's grown into a church, houses of hope, rehab centers, medical clinics, hospitals, house purchasing opportunities, rental assistant programs. I went back to that community several times. I wanted to teach there. They were hungry. And I wanted to worship with them and and went to the hip-hop revival just so I could get splashed with a little bit of the grace that was pouring out all over them. I know you would look at me and think, well, there's a guy who's plugged into the hip-hop community on the west side of Chicago. (laughs) And you would be right, because I am. That class in Lawndale, my work with Latinos in Southern California and in in Tijuana, where what was supposed to be a one-hour question and answer on Bible and theology becomes a three-hour conversation that only broke up because I had to catch a plane. You know, when you're a professor, you don't realize how much effort you spend trying to make students care until you have a group that is so hungry, who cares so deeply that teaching is a joy. Jesus had been working so hard for seven chapters And nobody gets it. Not his disciples, not his family, not the religious leaders. And even after witnessing someone who did get it, it didn't help the clueless in Mark. They're still clueless. I'm really surprised the Bible doesn't record Jesus saying, you know what, I'm going back to Tyre. They didn't give me these headaches. But this woman's love for her daughter and her hunger for what Christ could teach began a whole new phase of Jesus' ministry in Mark. She crossed ethnic boundaries. She defied cultural convention, and she won an argument with Jesus because of that love, because of that faith, a surprising and challenging faith, which, of course, forces me to ask the question, how hungry am I? How hungry are you? This woman was an outsider. She had no hope. She had no reason to believe that this Jewish rabbi would even give her the time of day. But she loved her daughter so much She knew this was no ordinary rabbi. She knew the kingdom of God was right under their noses. She knew, and she wanted it. She wanted the healing. She wanted whatever crumbs might fall off the table. She knew Jesus' teaching was so full, those crumbs would be enough to get the job done. 
This woman for me joins the ranks of the Samaritan woman debating at the well or Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. She joins the ranks of the Roman centurion staring at the cross or or Mary, the sister of Martha, sitting at Jesus' feet like any good disciple would. She joins the ranks of a very short list of people who get it in the Gospels. She won't let anything keeping her from seeing Jesus move. Even when Jesus reminds her of the systemic racism that exists all around her, she continues on. Like the men who rip up the roof in the house to get their friend to Jesus. She hangs in there. And when she does, Jesus' ministry goes in a direction that no one would have thought possible. The Jewish Messiah ministering to Gentiles like their people or something. Jesus keeps showing us that down is up, up is down. Outsiders are insiders, insiders are outsiders. So if you are an outsider, I think that's good news. The kingdom of God is for you. And if the Bible is any indication, it means you're probably going to have an easier time seeing it. Maybe you're hungry, hungry for more, hungry for meaning, hungry for hope, hungry for a life of purpose both here and hereafter. If that's you, then be like this woman. Don't let anything stop you. Cultural, sociological differences systemic injustice in the world, I do believe, please help my unbelief, is a perfectly fine prayer to start a journey with. And I will tell you from a personal experience, it's a perfectly fine prayer to have on the journey as well. Or maybe you're an insider like me. If you are, this text probably should scare us a little bit. See, at this point, the insiders all think they've got a pretty good handle on Jesus, and not one of them has understood what's gone on yet. They don't really understand, but they think he fits pretty well in the box that they've constructed. He probably is a little too familiar with the outsiders. He probably spends a little too much time in the Gentile lands, but still, they've got him figured out. And they don't want crumbs. They, they want bread. And they want bread prepared the way they want bread, you know, from the bakery they like and the way in which they like it. And if it comes the wrong way, well, it doesn't matter. We just won't eat it then. These people want Jesus to be the Messiah that they want. Also the topic of next week's sermon. That's two teasers in one sermon. I just want to put that in there real quick. (laughs) Crumbs can transform, we learn from this woman. Psalm 84 says, I'd rather be a doorman in the house of the Lord. The prodigal son says, just make me one one of your hired servants. The woman with the bleeding condition says, if I could just touch the hem of his robe. The Syrophoenician woman says, just the crumbs from your table, Lord. What happens when you are hungry? For just a piece of God. Miracles happen when you're hungry for just that piece of God. When nothing stops you. When your faith is so strong it makes you pursue and ask. Grace spills out all over when you're hungry for more. So may we insiders all be able to hang in a conversation with Jesus as well as these outsiders do. May we all be refreshed and challenged by her hunger. And pray that she shares some of the crumbs from her table of faith. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, there is a wideness in your mercy and a wideness in your love and so often a shallowness of our vision. Thank you, dear God, for challenging those of us who can handle a challenge. Thank you for the challenge for her. Thank you for her faith in hanging in. Help us to learn to be hungry for more. Help us not to be distracted by the evils of this world that get in the way. Help us to seek out your teaching in all that we do. Help us to show faith that crosses cultural boundaries, faith that 
makes us uncomfortable. And thank you for passages that make us uncomfortable. In this time of commitment, I pray, dear God, that every decision that's made is made according to your will. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.